to another episode of Lions Up by Donkeys. I'm Joe with I'm me Nick. Is Nick. Yes. And today we are on part two of the Soviet Afghan War. So, you know, don't start in part two. Go back and listen to all the revolutionary stuff in part one, uh, unless you want to live dangerously or something. Yeah, you could start. You could wait till we finish. Go part four. Listen to it backwards. Go to Fuck part it. one. And then briefly go back to the end again and then go back to the yeah. beginning. Listen to the podcast series as if you're watching the movie Memento. Yes. Um, so when you uh, when we left you last week, um, Afghan Premier Hafizullah Amin was very nearly poisoned <laughs> by his own Soviet allies. I didn't enjoy the cliffhanger. <laughs> um, you ended off with Operation 333 and it was fucking sweet. We'll get there, I promise. Okay. Um, and while all this is going on, Soviet forces... Uh, who are nominally advisors are trickling into Afghanistan uh, at Amin's urging. Uh, also, I feel like I need to say again that Hafizullah Amin smothered his predecessor with a yeah, pillow. His smothering pillow. <laughs> Give me my smothering pillow. He doesn't um, wash. No. Well, you can't wash the the smothering exactly. pillow. You, you gotta you gotta keep all the stank on it. Um, so in the meantime, Afghanistan had been rapidly spiraling out of control. And Amin was quickly proving uh, completely unable to handle any of it, uh, which isn't that surprising because even the Soviets thought he kind of sucked already. Um, I imagine they didn't give a fuck, though. Well, they didn't want to fail, uh, and they certainly didn't want to put someone in charge that would do so badly they would have no choice but to attack. Um, as, uh, as he's doing? That's how badly yeah. Amin is doing so far. Um, for instance, uh, within... Uh, not that long of a time period uh, of Amin being in charge that the Mujahideen had been rising up all around the country and held around 90% of the territory and all main lines of communications in the provinces of Jaujan, Takar, Bashkadan, Logar, Gaur, Kapisa, Ganzi, Zabul, Helmand, Farah, Harat, and Baghdad. So pretty much the only thing the government controlled is Kabul. Jesus. Which remember, they, they purposely set up to not do that, and then they did it anyway. Yeah. Uh, except before uh, the government didn't control the countrysides, but they at least had all the cities for the most part. Now they don't even have that. Um, Amin himself, like his predecessor, distrusted his own army so much that he requested an all-Muslim battalion from the Red Army, army to be his personal bodyguards. Uh, so the Soviets agreed and sent thousands of Muslim soldiers from their Central Asian republics uh, that joined the other thousands of Soviet advisors that were already in the country. Um, which brings us to Operation Storm 333. Yes. And again, I have to leave you at a cliffhanger because we have to get to the... Po- so last episode, we only covered the Afghan side of how we ended up here. God damn it. The Soviet side is just as bad, just with a whole lot less pillow smothering. And more vodka. A lot more. Um, also, uh, before we go on, last episode, I said Leonid Brezhnev, the Soviet premier, was old, senile, and drunk. That part is true. I said he was like 80 or 90. That part is not true. He died when he was 75. So he's in his 70s. Yeah, I had to correct myself. Yeah, he, but he is old beyond his years. If you look at a picture of him, he looks 80-something. Uh, Didn't age well. He was also in horrible health. So he might as well have been 90. Um, so back on the 8th of December, 1979, Brezhnev held a meeting with several others, which... Uh, The meeting eventually came to the conclusion that something must be done about Afghanistan. They came up with two options. One was using the KGB to facilitate a change of power to depose Amin and install Babrak Karmal from exile. If that failed, they would just use the military to do it. Um, This would be the last time that Leonid Brezhnev, who 
was the head of the Soviet state, mind you, would be consulted at all about the use of Soviet troops in Afghanistan. <laughs> you really fucked this up. So, <laughs> um, At this point in his life, Brezhnev was incredibly sick and frail. He was also using copious amounts of booze as medicine uh, for his various medical problems. Um, the Politburo around him, uh, it, sh- it sure is in the Soviet Union, uh, the Politburo around him rapidly turned towards the idea of an intervention uh, in Afghanistan would only take a few weeks uh, and uh, fed the dying drunk head of state outright lies in order to sell him on the issue. It's even thought to this day that the directive that would send the Red Army to war was actually a fake signature planted by the KGB because it looks absolutely nothing like a- really? any other signature that Lena Brezhnev did. Yeah. Oh, the shit I used to just to get away from like actually having a like report card signed by my parents. Oh yeah, I did that too. Yeah, they did that. Yeah, yeah, they did that to send uh, eighty thousand soldiers to war. I think I did better. I mean, it also speaks volumes of how little Brezhnev, what what power he still had, um, and he is like I think he was the longest serving Soviet premier outside of uh, Joseph Stalin. So he should have had some political clout, but like. While all these parts are moving, he could do nothing to stop it. And he didn't know anything about it, which really? is really weird. Yeah. So there was like almost an outside government, a shadow government. Yeah. And they, they pretty much made all of their foreign policy decisions. Uh, we'll talk about that a little bit later. Okay. Uh, so Brezhnev's personal doctor, a guy named Mikhail Kusarov, commented that when Brezhnev was in his right mind and sober, which was rare, he openly spoke out against committing soldiers on the ground to Afghanistan. Um, the Soviet army at this point is not the Soviet army of World War II. Um, it's more closely related to the Russian army of the horrible che- First Chechen War. Ooh. Pretty much falling you apart. You don't want to be that one. No, it's uh, everybody knows it to be openly corrupt, falling apart at the seams, uh, pretty much slapped together with duct tape and wire with mass amounts of conscription every year. Um, everybody in charge knew that deploying it away from home was a really bad idea. Uh, they just happen to not be anyone that anybody listened to. Mm. Um, Soviet ambassador to the U.S. Anatoly Dobrin actually blamed the entire thing on Mikhail Susilov, a longtime political operative who exerted a ton of influence and is considered the chief ideologue of the Communist Party at the time. What is known without speculation is the plans for intervention came from Foreign Minister uh, uh, Andrei Gromko. Grimko? No, one or the other. Um, we're not good at names. Defense Minister Dmitry Ustinov and the KGB chairman and future head of the Soviet state, Dmitry Andropov, um, with virtually no input at all from the state Politburo or the head of state himself. Uh, the Soviet military leaders who objected to the coming military action were told to mind their own business or simply fired. Um, this included Chief of the General Staff, Marshal Nikolai Ogurkov, who um, had suddenly been told out of nowhere to prepare 80,000 soldiers for deployment, something that the Soviet Union has not done in decades. Right. Um, during a meeting on the 11th of December, Ogurkov, seemingly the only adult in the room, pleaded with the rest of the planners an invasion was a terrible idea, even if they were being invited. Um, he referred to the Afghan tradition of resistance against foreign invaders on their land, worrying that the probability of Soviet troops being pulled into direct fighting rather than the policing action that they were trying to sell um, would, would just all be in vain. All of his arguments be ignored. He said, quote, we will pit all of Eastern Islam against us and we will lose politically in the entire world. If that does not sound prophetic to you. It will soon. Um, so 
he seems to be the only one that had any understanding of military anything, right. uh, which isn't that surprising in a room full of politicians. Um, what what is surprising is he immediately saw what would happen. Like he saw this thing way clearer than anybody else. And at the time, the uh, the people really running the war effort, or what would soon to be a war effort really was saying this will only take a couple weeks. We're not even going to fight anybody. We're just going to show up. Everybody will see that the, the support that the PDPA government has, and all this will just come to an end, which is like the dumbest fucking thing you can possibly imagine. Solid idea. I mean, everybody says this is the Soviet Union's Vietnam, and that's accurate. But I think that it's somehow worse because at least going into Vietnam, the U.S. military had some concept of they were going into a guerrilla war. It seems like the Soviet leadership was either blind or wantingly ignorant about the whole thing. I think they thing. were ignorant about the whole thing. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm kind of on both sides. I do believe that they thought um, they, they had first world syndrome. Like, yeah. these stupid cave people won't dare I, stand up against us type yeah. shit. Like, just For dumb sure. racism type stuff. Uh, and racism was absolutely not foreign in the Soviet Union, which we'll talk about in a little bit. Um, I could absolutely see that of being like I, another good example is like colonial wars. Uh, where like the British military would routinely send uh, groups of soldiers against thousands of, of native soldiers because like, well, the British army can't possibly lose yeah. to a bunch of savages. Weapons. Yeah. Uh, and then they did and yeah. they stopped doing that. And this is what happened to the Soviet Union. Um, so by this point, Amin had moved to the Tajberg Palace in the center of Kabul. It was surrounded by his Muslim Soviet bodyguards and several dozen members of the Afghan Presidential Guard. It ended up being around 2,200 guys. Uh, at the same time, thousands of KGB special forces and members of the airborne regiments of the Soviet Union had arrived in Afghanistan. Now, these were all in secret. In order to conceal this from the Afghan authorities, they addressed the civilians and landed in civilian planes. They were given security plans and the operation of the palace and how everything worked. Did they get a good tan? Before I would imagine so, coming from uh, Soviet Russia, which was where most of the KGB and airborne guys came from, was like uh, to... You know, Afghanistan. Right. They're getting, they're getting sun for like the first time. Um, now, the, the, Muslim, the Muslim battalion was commanded by Soviet officers. And they Is all, that really what it's called? Yeah. yeah. That's uh, crazy. I mean, I mean, obviously, the Soviet Union had a large Muslim population. They just never really supported religion. Right. Um, but yeah, they, they're like, well, shit, we got thousands of Muslim soldiers laying around. Muslim battalion. That is your name. Yeah. Deal with it. They, they weren't good with names. Um, now, Operations, on the other hand, the, the Soviets also good. planned the def- the uh, the procedures and uh, the protective posture of the of the palace. So, which they then gave all those plans to the special forces and KGB. So it's like you not are only cheating on this test by getting the answers. You also cheated on the test that you made for yourself. Yeah, is just everything is stacked up against the poor Afghans. They have no idea what's coming. Jesus. Um, the Soviets prepared the rest of their army for the upcoming war. Which they thought would only last a week, weeks, two weeks. You know, um, because of the vastness of the Soviet Union, they decided it would make a lot more sense to mobilize Red Army troops from the F- Central Asian Republic, seeing how they're just over the border. And they could be just driven over land into Afghanistan in only a few hours. Good idea. There was a small problem with that. The Soviets did not think highly of their Central Asian comrades. Yeah, despite the uh, equality and uh, egalitarianism of Soviet communism, that did not apparently extend to the people they called yellow asses. What? Yeah, they're racist as fuck. There's also other racist terms that 
more directly translate to English, I will not say because it is. Oh, they're that bad. It is damn close to regular old American racism. Oh, that's bad. Yeah. Um, this is not because they're bad soldiers, but because the Soviet Union was racist as fuck and they thought they were simply too stupid to learn Russian, which it was weird because they're soldiers and the Soviet army made absolutely no attempt to teach them. This is something of a problem as Russian was the common technical language of the military. So in the U.S. Army, you get manuals and, and instruction books, how to do everything. Right. They're all written in English. Simple enough. I mean, you do have to have some kind of fluency in English to be a soldier here. but Imagine if you didn't. Now, like, work any of these things. You can't read what any switch or toggle or anything, anything says. Yeah. Now, this is the life that these soldiers were living. Not good. Um, for example, during the first days of mobilization, no one paid any attention to the, qual- the quality or the quantity of specialists filling out the units. Everybody was confident that the usual inspection was being done and, all, and everything would just end up okay. So, by, by specialist, I mean mechanics, right. artillery crewmen, things like that. People would just show up and they're like, well, they probably know what they're doing, uh, but they weren't. It turned out uh, because of their lack of knowledge of the Russian language, none of these guys not ha- knew how to drive or operate tanks. Armored personnel car- uh, carriers use artillery or radio operation systems. That's really vital. They are effectively a bunch of dudes with rifles. That's really vital. So rather than God. transport new soldiers in that knew what they were doing, they just, or ju- or they just forced these guys uh, to use the equipment uh, that they had no idea how to do. Okay. And they okay. didn't even set time aside to train them because now it, you have to put yourself in, in the way that the Soviet commanders are thinking here. Why does it matter? They're only going to be there a couple weeks. Throw them into the fire. Right. This is going to be a small fire. It's only a few weeks. Yeah. To make matters worse, Tens of thousands of reservists simply never received their call-up orders due to bad record-keeping. Many of the reserve officers had never actually been sent to the officer's academy. <laughs> God, I've been an officer for quite a while. <laughs> yeah. When can I go to school? <laughs> you haven't gone to school yet, Lieutenant? No. Uh, well, welcome aboard. You're going you're gonna to go ahead and get deployed. Okay. <laughs> also, another problem was there was no plan. There's, there's never been a plan like this other than like emergency. The Soviet Union's being invaded, mobilized everybody. Uh, none of this had ever been attempted in the area. Uh, as if things cannot be planned anywhere, so the Soviets also did not develop any new kind of uniform for their soldiers. They would simply roll into Afghanistan in virtually the same uniform they'd go to parades in. Everything from their jackets Ugh. to their pants and especially their giant fucking jackboots yeah, were restrictive and suited for something very little outside of just walking down the street. I mean, they were literally wearing what looked like the same boots that they wore in World War II. Yeah, jackboots, pretty much. Yeah. Those are the same. Things were so bad that anybody with extra money uh, simply went out and bought a pair of knockoff Adidas tennis shoes called Mokbas. Mokbas? Yeah, it's, it, so it's the Cyrillic version of moscow um because you know instead of a label that would say like adidas there's no private companies in the the soviet union uh and the way that they are made from old uh adidas um machines left behind from the olympics in the soviet union there had to be something there like something to fill they didn't they couldn't leave it blank so like well fuck it it's a moscow shoe it's being made in moscow do they still have the three stripes yeah they did they they were identical to Adidas Gazelle running shoes. This is amazing. Can we buy these and wear them? Uh, they they went out of print as of 2011. So they're still going. Yep. Holy fuck. Yep. Um, it was either 2011 or two, uh, 2009. One of the two. But yeah, 
I wonder how, I feel like our size shoe might be a little expensive. Uh, probably a little bit hard to find. Yeah. We're, we're rather large people. Um, this is actually why, uh, and almost every single picture of, of the Spetsnaz or the Russian airborne troops, they're always wearing counterfeit kicks instead of fucking combat counterfeit boots. kicks. Um, the knockoff Adidas ended up becoming something of a status symbol within the Soviet army, an army that didn't exactly have a lot of status symbols by design. Uh, because if you had a pair, you're obviously in the best units in the military. Nobody else got extra pay. Nobody else would be able to get these things. In many cases, the commanders got their hands on them and gave them to their soldiers. So in essence, these shoes were the Soviet version of a coyote tan baseball cap with a Velcro American flag and beards that we see today in America's toxic military culture. Mm. They just said shoes. Yeah. I think shoes were better. Very. Because I would love to have some mock this. You honest. can just get a pair of Adidas. They're virtually the same thing. I just way them. more expensive. I just want mock this. So with that, more than 50,000 officers, sergeants, and soldiers were called up from the reserves to bring the... I the, have a pair of Adidas. Yeah. Sorry. Sorry to cut you <laughs> off. No, please talk. You see me squatting them pretty often, <laughs> actually. So they... Oh, I'm using them definitely from what they're intended to be used for. Either climbing the mountains of Afghanistan or squatting on the street corner smoking cigarettes yes. and eating sunflower yes. seeds. Uh, so with that, 50,000 officers, sergeants, and soldiers were called up from the reserves to bring the unit strength up to around uh, 8,000 vehicles and 80,000 soldiers. Now, those vehicles were sent from the economy, as they said. The economy that sounds he- terrible. Now, the that economy like here means virtually any fucking truck they get their hands on. Yeah. Not all of them are military trucks. It's like, uh, fuck it. It's a cargo truck. It's good enough. Here's a Toyota fucking Tacoma. Go. Bam. Now, like I said before, mobilization measures of this scale had never been tried before uh, or even thought of in the Turkestan Central Asian military districts. Accordingly, local governments, directors of enterprise, farms, and draft boards, and the military turned out completely and utterly unprepared for them. Not enough uniforms, not enough rifles, shit like that. (laughs) Well, that's like the the story that I hear where during parades or anything that had to do with the Soviet Union, they'd go back, turn around, put on new paint, and keep going through the parade just to show that their military might. I mean, that's... They were so short on shit. That's not that surprising. Um, that's they've actually shown that uh, a lot of parades in like North Korea, where it shows it's like floods of people marching by. It's a trick. It's like a sleight of eye trick. We've talked about before is like uh, a battle tactic uh, where soldiers will march around and the dip behind cover and pop back around, yeah. it, and it looks like it's an endless stream of soldiers when in reality they only have like thirty. They're like, oh man, there's so many platoons. Like <laughs> just one. <laughs> going around in circles and yeah. you just don't see it ba- double backing around but yeah i mean i would not be surprised at all uh which brings us back to the palace uh the special forces airborne and kgb operatives have changed into their afghan army uniforms now to go undercover Ooh. uh the day before the operation was to begin on the 26th the afghan in the army began to get a little suspicious about the situation going on around them these guys are Fair skin. These guys don't fucking speak Pashto. <laughs> yeah. Uh, as anyone would with half a fucking operating brain when tens of thousands of Soviet soldiers randomly show up in the country. Now, it was pretty Where obvious that there's a buildup on military bases and like in Kabul and stuff like that. And but like it was supposed to be a secret. Well, now some of them are housed openly as soldiers, and other of other ones are like, you know doing spook shit and like right. in safe houses pretending to be but there's thousands of them uh and i mean there's probably a fair amount of 
uh, uh, Tajiks and stuff like that that kind of can play the part and speak to local languages. Right. But like the the Afghans picked up on it. Do you think any of the Spook guys ever tried? Oh, I got a hit on a guy, and it was another one of his KGB guys, but he didn't realize it. And they're just tricking each other. Like, oh, I'm gonna get this guy to hit on each other. I feel like they probably definitely did. What are you What are you talking about? Let's say one guy spooked on another guy that was a spook as well. Uh-huh. But one of them didn't know that he was a spook. They totally thought each other were just Afghani guys. Afghans. The money's Afghani. Afghan guys. <laughs> That's just what I see in my head. Just them. I didn't know you're a spy. Over each other Are you sticks. a spy? Are you a spy? It's spy versus spy because everybody's drunk and probably one of them's gonna die. Um. Now, there was an obvious buildup. Now, there was already thousands of Soviets there in an advisory role, but like everybody noticed the influx of Soviet soldiers. They weren't exactly trying to hide it. Um, the Soviets be- uh, also started randomly getting shot at by elements of the Afghan army. <laughs> really? Yeah, and the Soviets, who were really, really confused and without what any orders to do if this happened, didn't shoot back. They all just kind of sat there and... Wait until the Afghans got bored and what? left. <laughs> yeah. Now, there's a reason that the Soviets didn't know why they were being shot at. They didn't know the plan. They were just there. So only the KGB and the uh, like the special forces guys knew what their ultimate plan was. Everybody else just thought they're in Afghanistan. Um, oh, this is a hardship tour. I'm just going to be here. Yeah. Uh, it's like if you got pcs orders to korea and had no idea you're suddenly taking part of an invasion of north korea um so this was obvious when you understand that uh the day of the operation which was the 27th no one soldier knew the entire plan wow uh nobody had been given written orders only verbal ones to make sure that nothing could fall in the hands of the afghans which is only cool if you only read spy novels and never interact with other people in your life um so Imagine you're a small unit leader. How many people do those orders pass through before they get to you? Dozens. Hundreds, right? Um, Have you ever played a game of telephone where you start on one side of the room with a message? Yes, I have. Yeah, it's like that, but with around 80,000 people. That's even worse. Yeah. It'll Um, just come out at the end, just, nah. Yeah. So uh, the regular soldiers and advisors had no idea that they're taking part in this plan. The only ones that had any remote idea was the special forces guy. So they're even more confused by the people they're working with are suddenly taking pot shots at them. What? Uh, inside the palace, Amin was on cloud nine. He got what he Hell wanted. Yeah. Soviet troops were in Afghanistan in the thousands. Partying. Something that he had been begging since Taraki was in charge. His inner circle was all Soviet military advisors, KGB agents, and the only doctor he trusted was also a Soviet. Oh, this guy's fucking partying. So nobody around him was like, uh, I don't think these guys are our friends. They're <laughs> like, the Soviets are great, Mr. Amin. They're perfect. Don't listen to me, Mr. Joe KGB agent. <laughs> Here's some vodka. Yeah. While he was worried about attacks from the Mujahideen or maybe even his political enemies, he trusted the Soviets more than anyone else on Earth, which we are learning more and more is a bad thing to do if you're in Afghanistan. <laughs> uh, and that's when entire uh, when Amin's entire family was poisoned again. <laughs> what was this what? time? <laughs> it was his trusted Soviet chef. What? Why? Because <laughs> he's trying to fucking assassinate him. Yeah, but why? Because that's the whole plan. Fuck that, dude. <laughs> By the time the doctors arrived, everyone uh, in the room was convulsing or unconscious. Uh, Amin himself was considered in serious condition. 
two Soviet doctors who had no idea that they were interfering with their own government's assassination plot, saved the man's life and restored his breathing and pumped his stomach. Jesus. <laughs> At 1950 hours, Soviet forces began their assault on the palace, starting Operation Storm 333. Most of the Soviet manned anti-aircraft batteries that are protecting the palace spun around and started shooting at it. Holy fuck. Under the command of Soviet forces, uh, many of the, uh, the president's own bodyguards started shooting at each other, and the Muslim battalion, I mean, uh, issued bodyguards, immediately turned around and began securing the palace. I'm still tripped up on the... Bah, shooting at each other. Yeah, they, there's a lot of people that start shooting at each other. Like just Spider-Man and Spider-Man just going like, <laughs> like this. Who with, are you with? But with AKs? <laughs> yes. Uh, KGB special forces and Afghan army uniforms began to scale the side of the palace using ladders and ropes. Soviet armored vehicles charged through the security the checkpoints. In is- <laughs> one case, crushing the Afghan soldier who was manning it and attempting to surrender. There's this is a, a movie. <laughs> yeah, it's a it's a bad movie. Um, the Jerry Bruckheimer movie. There was only one road leading to the palace, with every other route being heavily mined. So there was the one route that Soviet APCs could use to advance. All of them immediately started getting shot at from the palace as uh, as Afghan uh, soldiers started figuring out what exactly was going on in real time. One of the shit's a- going down. Yeah. Uh, one of the APC commanders said, quote, "We hardly had begun to move when our vehicle stopped. The driver mechanic, who was one guy." Uh, was frightened, jumped out of the BMP, which was an APC that they had, and fled. But I hadn't yet Where? managed to decide on his replacement when he returned. It turned out it was even more frightening outside the vehicle. Holy fuck. <laughs> Another one of his soldiers uh, had attempted to jump off the APC and then just immediately fell under its tracks and got crushed. Oh, fuck. <laughs> Why? They were terrified. They had no idea what they were doing. They're like, oh, we're at ah! war now. <laughs> yeah. Despite the withering fire, the Soviets managed to get up to the palace door and breach them. All the various groups of soldiers were confused, and, and each one was acting in their own direction. And there's a reason for that. There was no single command of the operation. Holy fuck. It was- Every single unit had their own orders, and no one was talking to one another. It was like an elementary school playground. <laughs> yeah. It's like you're playing... Uh, you're playing army in the backyard with a whole bunch of kids and they all think they're in charge. That's very true. And then you kill somebody and they're not dead, and they're, but they're dead because you hit them. Now, there was one single unifying goal. Get to the walls of the palace as quickly as possible, hide behind them, and then just sit there. Because remember, not everybody knew the mission was to kill the president of Afghanistan. Their, their mission was to take the palace. Yeah. But once inside the palace, nobody knew what the fuck to do. <laughs> Did they essentially just kill... Anybody that was in there? They kill everybody and anybody to include themselves. Oh, so they shoot at each other too. Yeah. What the fuck? This is great. That was when Soviet forces began shooting at each other again because the special forces were in hostile territory in foreign uniforms without documents (laughs) and without any recognition whatsoever. There is only one symbol that showed that they were uh, Soviet soldiers. That was a white armband tied around their sleeve. Which was not briefed to other Soviet right. soldiers at the time because then it would give away the fact that KGB and Spetsnaz were attacking the palace. You can see where this is this all is a, a clusterfuck. Yeah. Who came up with this? Nobody really knows. <laughs> it was ca- I, I wonder if everybody at the same time was just like, hey, let's attack the palace. The fire That's was so it. heavy that the safety glass and all the APCs were shot out. Fuck. And the armor skirting was punctured in every square centimeter. When the soldiers said that the appearance uh, that it looked like a strainer or a colander, uh, 
It turns out the special forces had been saved by their bulletproof vests, although they were all practically wounded by friendly or hostile fire. That's not good. Once inside the palace, the special forces soldiers cleared every single room by throwing hand grenades and sweeping them with automatic weapons fire, taking no prisoners. During this time, Amin had finally woken up from his coma, uh, because remember, he had been incapacitated with poison. Hangover from the party. Finding himself in the middle of a war zone. Happens. When the commander of his presidential guard, seemingly the last loyal Afghan in the palace, uh, rushed in to tell him what was happening, Amin told him to call the Soviets for help. When the commander told him that the Soviets were, were attacking, Amin called him a liar and fired him. What? <laughs> like, motherfucker, you can't fire me. I'm trying to help you. The Russian doctors who were treating Amin assumed they were under attack by the Mujahideen and began to get worried. And that's when they heard Russian soldiers screaming swear words down the hallway and realized it was their own people. Oh, that's where you got to hide under the bed. Yeah, because you got to wait. You can't run out there and say you're one of them because you'll just get shot. Yeah. After about 45 minutes, the battle inside the palace was over and Hafizullah Amin lay dead behind a bar counter. He died wearing striped boxer shorts and a polo and was shot in the face. See? To this day, nobody's really sure who killed him and nobody has taken credit for it, but it's all but certain that the KGB special forces had orders to kill him on sight. That's what it sounds like. Um, the attack was so confused and badly planned that as soon as the palace was secured by Soviet forces, it quickly came under attack again. Who do you think attacked it? I want to go with the Soviets again. An entire airborne division of Holy the Soviet fuck. army. <laughs> 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 they charged at their own men, bayonets oh mounted, and God. the result was a confused two-hour-long firefight that killed at least 50 people. <laughs> that is insanely like funny, to be honest. Oh, my God. <laughs> I was joking. I So, uh, the, ma- the main source for, that I'm using for this series is a book called The Great Game. It's great. Read it. Uh, but I actually read that chapter like three times to make sure I wasn't misunderstanding something. I mean, there's, I a, there's a lot going on on one side of the faction. It turns out the Soviets could kick their own ass a whole lot yeah. better than the Afghan army could. I bet it's, I bet you they did it on purpose just to show like a show, like a fucking boss move. You know, it's a great training, uh, idea. Let's just attack each other with live weapons. That's a great idea. How else are you going to show how badass you are? <laughs> So we'll kick our own ass. <laughs> I don't need your help. I could do this myself. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so the palace, however, was not the only building targeted in the operation. Uh, here is probably my favorite story from the uh, from the whole saga. Uh, the general staff of the Afghan army was also targeted, and uh, generally went a whole lot easier than the palace operation. Uh, when soldiers saw they were being attacked by soldiers of the Red Army and not Mujahideen, they pretty much surrendered immediately. The same thing cannot be said for the Afghan chief of staff, General Yakub, who was actually in the middle of a meeting with the Soviet military advisor from the 103rd Airborne Division, a major named I- Ivan Roznov, when the whole operation kicked off, which it should be noted that the major also had no idea what was going on either. Nobody knows anything. So in the middle of all this... Um, Yakub gets a, a phone call that the Soviets were under attack. The Soviets were attacking them, and to uh, order his men to mobilization. Uh, Major Roznov overhears the phone call, realizes that the two are apparently at war now, and they quickly get in a fucking fist fight. <laughs> <laughs> this is awesome. It's like, oh, I guess we have to kill each other now. <laughs> 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 
<laughs> like something out of a fucking John Clancy movie. <laughs> you say John Clancy? That's not his name, is it? No, it's not. It's what? Tom Clancy. Tom Clancy. It's John Tom Clancy. Clancy. You got Joe Clancy. You got Tom Clancy. John Clancy's Tom Clancy's John... shitty cousin. Yeah, that made terrible books. Um, also, this is great. <laughs> this is definitely... I just like these two guys in the middle of a meeting, like, calmly, they having tea, probably drinking You're vodka. A bitch. And then, like, somebody get a phone end. call, like, I guess we have to murder each other now. And they just set their tea down like, indeed. And they just start beating the dog shit out of each other. And that's when one of the, one of the major's aides kicked open the door of the room and shot Yakub in the arm. What? <laughs> Why? Because you don't want a fair fight. It's fisticuffs. <laughs> like, Major Rostov looks like, no, no, no. He's mine. And like, yeah. just pulls a knife out of his fucking Adidas tennis shoe. Yeah. <laughs> Honestly, this is awesome. And then the Akub surrendered because he got fucking shot. I would too. <laughs> yeah, I would too. Good call on that one. Uh, another Soviet force made its way to the radio and television center across the city. Their goal was to secure it and broadcast a message to the Afghan people uh, to you know let everybody know that Bob Rock Kamal was coming to save them all. Shit like that. Also, we do not know who we are fighting, so <laughs> just stay away. Yeah, that, the, uh, the, the Soviets' whole plan was actually to roll in take over the radio center and start playing some awful Soviet pop music. Oh, yes. Just fucking bass-ass techno music. The Afghan's like, Jesus Christ, what is this? Yeah. Honestly, when they dance to that music, it looks like they're fighting. Oh, this all stems together. This is great. That's how you train to be a soldier. You listen to fucking Russian techno music and kick the air. Yeah. So there's actually an Afghan tank unit stationed at this at the area uh in the area and had been ordered to combat readiness one small problem who are they fighting they had no idea they had so we just <laughs> like, we're under attack get ready to defend yourself like yeah right but like who <laughs> so like the soviet soldiers simply walked up to them like hey surrender They're like all right and that was it whatever <laughs> they're just done all right <laughs> all right you're you seem all right to me uh another force at the ministry of eternal affairs uh compound and instead of walking up and just telling them to surrender, they immediately begin attacking the Afghans with uh, automatic grenade launchers, confusing the hell out of the defenders who had no idea what was happening. Uh, it took about 15 minutes for them to capture the building. Wow. By the morning of the 28th, Kabul is all but secured, and the Afghan government toppled by their allies. <laughs> that day is when the... That was probably the best ever. <laughs> this is the best shit I've heard in a fighting? while. Yes! Yes! <laughs> Just- all coked up. Ah! <laughs> that was when the Soviet limited contingent of the armed forces of the Soviet Union, which was their official name for the Soviet mission in the country, uh, began to stream into the country uh, across the borders from the Soviet republics. I wish you could see what's in my head right now. <laughs> this, this is great. This is that battle plan is exactly what would happen if you looked at any battle plan from like Counter Strike. Everybody just jumping up and down, spinning around in circles and firing an AK in full auto while screaming racial slurs. Yes. That's how I assume this looked like. I saw it as also a video (laughs) game. You did not disappoint with part two. (laughs) Uh, So on the evening of the 28th, Carmel was driven in a convoy. It's caramel. (laughs) Carmel. 
Babrat Carmel uh, was driven in a convoy to Kabul to take a seat as leader of Afghanistan. A seat that was probably still warm from the guy the Soviets just murked. <laughs> Once he got there, oh wait, hold on. So wipes off some of the blood. All right, it's all yours now. The, the, the KGB officer's like, oh, sorry, we, we left a, a piece of him behind. Uh, Our bad. As he's just standing around the smoking presidential palace full of corpses, like, yes, all this is mine we, now. We also did fight our own people, but uh, <laughs> it is yours. Yes. Um, Karmal officially announced via radio that Amin had been tried and executed by a revolutionary council of the people. He also immediately began a purge of Amin loyalists. It's definitely not the people. Because of course he did. It's like... I don't. I don't know how many people Amin's purge killed. Tens of thousands, I assume, like all the other ones. Uh, but like, hmm, what what is my first order of business in this country with all these problems? I'm gonna kill my own people. He's a product of his environment. Once he got there, he didn't. He saw the dead body. He's like a dog chasing a car. He has no like he he wants to be in charge, but he has no idea what he's gonna do to actually govern exactly. this mess once he actually has it. So, why not? It's just so many problems. You mean, why not commit a purge? Because purges are bad. Name one purge that was good other than, like, desalinization. The the movie was all right. The first one sucked. The second (laughs) one was good. I liked the second one. The third one was awful. I haven't seen that one. Save yourself some time. Um, So this is the pattern uh, that the the Soviets' intervention kind of fell into, uh, which was much of what had been happening before the Soviets got there. Soviet soldiers occupied cities and attempted to patrol main highways in between them to keep logistics channels open. So, hold on. Do they know who they're fighting at this point? See, the so, so the Soviets do, don't think they're there to fight. Okay. Because remember, so they, they don't think this like is a, a war. A tour, if yeah, you will. It, they see it as a little more than a policing action. That, okay. will, that They'll be home within the month. So they're not fighting. Okay, gotcha. That's the problem. They are. And they did not prepare for this. Um Mujahideen pretty much occupied everything that the Soviet soldiers were not currently standing on. Uh, the Soviet leadership thought the introduction of 80,000 Red Army soldiers would pacify the growing insurgency, and in fact, it did the exact opposite. It unified various rebel groups who had been spending their spare time fighting each other along with the government around the flag of nationalism and Islam. Mm. A full 80% of the entire country was fully out of government control. Many rural Afghans who had chafed under Amin's reforms were now on the verge of joining the spontaneous resistance. They had been on the fence, kind of hoping for Amin to come around and govern the country effectively. Right. But they also sympathized with the, with the Mujahideen. But they were very suspicious of Soviet forces that claimed that they were there only to help them. Uh, these people were armed with mostly 19th century muskets, World War II era Lee, Lee Enfield rifles, and AK-47s. Most of them coming from government stockpiles. Muskets? Yeah, Gisales. Uh Holy fuck. Yeah, like uh so if you're if you're not familiar with a Gisale, uh it's you know a black powder musket. Yeah. Heavily decorated. They look baller as shit. It's like if you wanted to bling out a gun, this is what it would look like. If I wanted to go on a African hunting trip, I'd bring a Gisale. I mean, it's not really Africa's thing. It's not. I mean if you want to look if I a- wanted to look like a douchebag. Oh, Giselles will make you look like a douchebag. Exactly. Going into and I wear some now, short a, shorts. An American version of a Giselle would be an AR-15 that you handed down to your kid <laughs> that had a spinner rim on the buttstock. <laughs> but like Giselles are cool as shit. There's actually multiple accounts of people finding them to this day. Uh, they're pretty much priceless. They're they're heirlooms. Um, hopefully, not a lot of people took them as war trophies because it's a fucked up thing to do. Um, but they they look fucking awesome. 
Exactly. Um, and they, they, so they took that stockpile and prepared to fight against what they saw as what was an, another in a long stream of foreign invasions of Afghanistan. And that was the thing that kind of tipped the Mujahideen from being controlling the countryside, and now they can threaten everywhere. Because there's a lot of fence sitters in Afghanistan who didn't really like the Mujahideen, didn't really like the government. They're just going to sit it out and hope that things return to normal, that the government leave them alone, let them farm, go back to their villages, whatever. This was the tipping point. The Soviets pissed a lot of people off by coming there. Uh, remember, because outside the cities, it's a very conservative country, very right. deeply tied to the religion. And the Soviet Union had prided itself for decades for being an atheist country, which is, like stands in stark contrast of everything that the, the Afghans stood for outside right. their own government. Um, not to mention, they don't like foreigners. Like, stay the fuck out. If, they, if nobody has made this more clear than Afghanistan, I don't know who. You're not Maybe wrong, the yeah. Vietnamese. <laughs> All they know is foreign oppression. They're really good at throwing insane. them off. Yeah. Uh, All this caused things to quickly spiral out of control for the Soviets. Soon, their policing action uh, came under increasing amount of attacks, and their convoys pretty much could not go from point A to point B without coming under fire. Um, The guy that the Soviets put in charge, Bobrat Karmal, had the balls to actually blame the Soviets for all this unrest, which, sure, they did just kill the goddamn president and give him a new one, but it started way before then. Also, the Soviets were invited. They, They didn't invade, technically. They're, out, they're, they're, they're technically correct, which is the best kind I mean, of correct. <laughs> it, it's technically, but it kind of sounded like an invasion. It, so, Amin had been asking for them, and Karmal also wanted them there. He got his face scooped out by them. Yeah, I'm not saying inviting the Soviets to your country is a good idea. I'm just saying they did it. Yeah, okay. Um, they RSVP'd. Yeah, I mean, this insurgency had been going on four years and about like fucking three liters ago. You know, like the Soviets didn't cause this. Yeah, no, they the didn't. PDPA no. caused this. And even for that, Daoud caused this by overthrowing the goddamn king. Oh, yeah, Daoud is a bitch. Like Amin, Karmal did not trust his own army, and it too began to erupt into outright mutiny, leaving the Soviet army to fight them alongside the Mujahideen. <sighs> this is despite the fact that the bulk of the Soviet forces were never intended to fight anyone. Instead, they were supposed to be a little more than a show of support for the PDPA. Which leads us to the massive disconnect the Soviet leadership in Moscow had uh, with anything resembling reality on the ground in Afghanistan. Do they still think that they're just there to police? They're oh, not one more than all? that. Leonid Brezhnev on the 28th of January, uh, back in Moscow, who would never step foot in right, Afghanistan, right. thought their job in Afghanistan was over, and he ordered all regular Soviet ground forces to leave the country. That's it, guys. War in Afghanistan's over. Uh, so thank Great you, job. thank you for tuning into the podcast. We will. I'm just fucking kidding. Of course, it didn't happen. Shit went on for nine fucking years. You said this was multiple parts. <laughs> um, two is multiple. <laughs> um, so that is when the triumvirate of Andropov, Gromko, and Ustinov just kind of stepped in and overruled him. No, they were not allowed to do that, but they did it anyway. She stepped on his dick. Just stomped on it yeah. with the with the heel of their Adidas <laughs> traction. <laughs> track I can check out these motherfucking Makbas, bitch. Uh, they argued withdrawing would be a serious mistake. Amin may have been removed, but it would take time for Karmal to exert his authority and stabilize Caramel. Afghanistan. 
Soviet forces should remain in a, in the, until the Afghan government was strengthened, they explained in a report to Brezhnev. Pulling out would prompt the Afghans to claim Moscow as an unreliable partner, which you just invaded their presidential palace yeah. and killed the president. You're an unreliable you partner. You more than kill the president. <laughs> you killed a lot of You killed your own, you <laughs> killed your own people. government. Yeah. You killed a lot of your own soldiers. Um, they, but the Soviet, they argued the Soviet Union would have to stay and help. In case any of this sounds familiar, yeah, you've been paying attention to the news the last, oh, 20 years. And that is when Soviet forces would start digging in for the long haul. And that is where we'll pick up next week. You keep ending this on cliffhangers. I got nine years of cliff- cliffhangers here. We got plenty. I don't know why. Plenty of cliffhangers. You're ending these. All our other parts, they weren't so much of cliffhangers. Like you, It's probably because I don't know what to expect for this one. <sighs> This one so far has been really insane. <laughs> so, I do have to say, uh, it go, it's, it's, it continues being dumb insane for the next almost decade of, of really? war for the Soviets. Yeah. Uh, it doesn't get good. Um, I don't expect it to get good. Whenever I sit at this table, I don't expect anything good. It's, I mean, that's why I had an, uh, every, every like 10 episodes, I make sure I, I, I schedule one that's actually a happy story. I think that's why we're friends. Yeah. Um, so... Thank you for real this time for tuning into the show. Um, support us on Patreon if you think what we do is worth a buck. Um, buy a shirt. You got to wear a shirt. Why not make it one of ours? Right. So a donation to the show for as little as a dollar gets you access to our communal Discord with the Hell of a Way to Die podcast. Um, the podcast uh, and theirs are pretty closely intertwined now. But also the Discord is... Um, is pretty cool for discussions of everything. That's actually where I got the lead for the Makaba shoes. Really? Uh, yeah. Uh, I, I knew that like every picture I found uh, of Spetsnaz operators who are wearing tennis shoes. I always thought that was weird, but also like none of the book sources I found. I just always assumed as that. you said, was like a sad, a status symbol as you said. Right. And that's, yeah, I kind of assumed but that I too, because I, I always assumed they're just Adidas. I just, yeah, I didn't know that they were their own brand and even made the, in Moscow. Even the story behind Adidas. the Makbas is equally, equal parts funny because like during the Olympics in Moscow, um, they made a rule where if Western companies were going to sell things, and this is, you know, even back in the 80s, uh, late 70s and 80s, um, you there was no private enterprise in the Soviet Union. I mean, it's a communist country. Right. Uh, I, ideally, they don't want any of that shit there. Um, so there was official sponsors of the Olympics. The Soviets said, yeah, you guys can still come, but you have to make your stuff here. And they're like, fuck it, whatever, this contract's worth the money. We'll bring all these heavy equipment and machinery or over to the Soviet Union. The Soviets also knew, and that's why they did that, that most people would make their money off the contracts and leave all the Western equipment behind that at this point, the Soviet Union had been falling far behind technologically than the West. This isn't the the glory days of sending up Sputnik and splitting the atom. Like under uh Leonid Brezhnev, the Soviet Union had stagnated really bad. So like they couldn't build the stuff on their own. Right. So they knew when Pepsi and Adidas, who, which uh, the uh, the Gazelle, I believe they were called, was the official running shoe of the Olympics, would have to leave all their equipment. It's a behind. good animal. Yeah. If I was gonna, my man, maybe if a I cheetah. wanted to run, I mean, I'm probably need my shoes. I'd be a, a cheetah gazelle. or something. But um, they knew that uh, when they left, they would just be able to put Soviet workers in place and then immediately crank Keep out their own knockouts, out. and that's right. exactly what they did. It almost reminds me of. I know it's 
probably far off, but it reminds me of like any type of CrossFit brand where they go, you could only wear this brand for here. Oh, you yeah, can't wear anything you're sponsorships. Yeah. Exactly. But Alico did the same for when they started their thing. You could only wear Alico branded shit. Well, that's like um, there's been professional athletes. Uh, I think uh, it happens a lot in football where they'll be like sponsored by Under Armour or whatever brand it is. And um, the NFL says you only can wear their, their official sponsors at um, NFL games and events. So you'll see people wearing shirts with like just random bits of fucking like electrical tape over it. Yeah. Uh, there was an Iranian weightlifter who uh, I think he set the, the world record for a clean and jerk. And he had a big fucking oh, piece fuck, of duct I know tape you're talking about. over his chest yes. covering up, uh, I think it was like Nike or something. Yeah. This is a Western brand. I thought yeah. that was kind of funny. But yeah, so that that's the story of the Makba. And that is why like the Discord is really funny. We'll, we'll talk about books. We'll talk about Soviet footwear history. Um, talk about anything. A, a dollar gets you in, but you know, thanks anyway. Uh, um, anyway, rate, share, and uh, review our show on iTunes because that helps us. Um, and we will see you next week for part three. Uh, another cliffhanger. Oh, yeah.